from Billy Joel to the Beach Boys to so many things in between and overcoming cancer. Richie Cannata shares the real deal on true miracles. Cue the intro. Welcome to The Real Deal, where we get real about what it takes to succeed. Whether it's wealth, health, relationships, or finding your purpose, we talk to the masters to uncover the secrets to defying the odds and creating your own rock star legacy. I'm Doug, and after working on multiple Grammy-winning records as an author, transformational speaker, and your personal translightenment coach, I'm committed to your growth and success. And now, here's the real deal. Your bio is like insane, and I, I knew most of this stuff, of course. It's just so impressive when it's like written down. Uh, but before we begin, I, I do have a, a sponsor that I need to uh, do the, you know, the, the thing. And, and by, by sponsor, I mean me. I sponsor myself. Okay. So um, it kind of goes like this. Are you feeling stressed out? Perhaps you're being haunted by day terrors or worse, night terrors. Bust through that anxiety with your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. Go over to guidedhypnotic.com and bust your anxiety once and for all. So, sponsored by me. Now, now I was doing fine until you went into that deep voice. Now I have anxiety. Uh, well, see, it's designed, you know, it's, it's how I keep work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go on your site. I was fine until I heard his voice. I was feeling much, I was feeling great. And then all of a sudden, oh no. All right. So I just, I, it was such an amazing opportunity and gift. Thank you so much for, for coming on. We've known each other for um, a good few decades. And uh, you, at least 20 years, at right? least. And, and you gave me my start in the, in the music industry. And before I introduce you, I just want to remind you, I don't know if you remember, the first time we met and the, the circumstances that it, what was happening when we met. I'm going to guess. Was a family member involved? No, no. It was at the studio. It was at the studio? Yep. So you okay. came, when I started there, we'll share the story. Yeah. I want to do the intro in a minute. When I started there, you were on the road with the Bee Gees, uh, Bee Gees with the Beach Boys. Yeah. Okay. Close enough. Um, no, you are. So you're on the road with the Beach Boys and I was interning and you, you came in and you were like, you know, ready to just start working and you grabbed me as an intern. I was like 21 or whatever. And you were like, Hey, go grab my, my Korg M1 that's in the studio and, <laughs> and bring it upstairs. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, you're like all eager to do a great job. And I put it on my shoulder. I start walking it up and I crack the, the, uh, the back of the keyboard on the stair, like the top of the ceiling on the way up. And I was mortified trying to make a good impression. And the first thing I did was dent your cork. It's funny you said that, Doug, because I have here uh, the bill for that. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, with interest, and the core was maybe worth 500 back then, but with interest, you owe me $27,000. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So now, with, no, with further ado, no further ado, Richie Kanata, 
the man, the mystery of the man of intrigue. And I'm going to read. I'm not going to do this all verbatim because it's not. It's just. It's a lot, and I want to get into having an incredible conversation with you. But I posted when we started here. Everybody, I think, on the planet knows a several of your solos and can hum them verbatim. And of course, New York State of Mind. Being New Yorkers is one of the, the most popular, and you did that incredible video for YouTube. Um, but, oh, my gosh, so you played with Billy. You were the original band. You played all those records. You toured the world. You changed the world musically. Uh, and what's so interesting, you didn't just play saxophone. Right. You played keyboards. You played percussion. You sang. You did so much. Accordion. Accordion. Yeah. Oh, my. Unbelievable. So you're, you're from New York. I, I want to read this, but I, I just I want to get into talking. Do you mind if we just get in chatting? Like, I'm, I'm down with whatever you want to do. Um, awesome. I'm, I'm, so we've got, we got to say that um, you and I go back <clears throat> so long ago with Cove City Sound Studios. Yep. And I gave you uh, and you gave me your first recording session with a great group called the yep. Antigone Rising that are still out there playing. And I remember that day, and it was like a, it was a great day for you to be broken in to this great studio, my studio, and this great band, and we still have a, re a relationship with them. And yeah. Fantastic, right? Yeah, so, so do I. I mean, and one of the things, so yeah, so it worked with Billy Joel, I mean, it's formed, I mean, you were the, you were the Billy Joel band, you and, and Doug Stegmaier, uh, Liberty and, DeVito. And Russell Chavis, of right. which now we have the Lords of 52nd Street. Which, which I've been so blessed to see you guys again. Yeah, you saw us recently. Yeah, and it's so once we're back out on, like, able to go out, I know you guys will be out, you know, like, just spreading the love. And, and uh, it's so amazing that even seeing the crowds there who come see you, young and old, it wasn't just any demographic. It was young kids. I remember there was a kid sitting up front, like he had to have been 20-something years old and was, like, stalking you. It was amazing. It was. I kind of remember that night. I really do. It's been great for us. You know, good music, Doug, and you know this because you're a musician and an engineer that it will prevail, you know. And mm -hmm. after all these years, it's still very popular. Good music. You listen to Beatle records, just listen to Springsteen, listen to our music with Billy. And that's, that's the cell, the heartbeat of making music. And, and uh, for all these years, it's been 40 plus years that we made these records and still we sell out venues with this music. It's incredible. So let's talk about I mean, one of the purposes of this show is talking about reinventing and, and dealing with challenges and how we, and you have several to, to share, like miraculous. Um, but to set the tone, how did you get into music? How did you start playing with Billy? Like that's got to have, I mean, I'm not sure that's something that everybody may know about. Well, uh, it was interesting. I had uh, got a call from um, the NYIT recording studio, New York Institute of Technology, here on Long Island to do a, a recording session for, and I believe it was for Sesame Street. And it was called, the session was called The Meter, The Leader, and The Gram. I went in to play uh, saxophone for them. And at that time, Al Stegmeyer was the engineer. He was the brother of Doug Stegmeyer, the bass player that Billy had just hired with Liberty, maybe a month or two before. He had said to me, well, my brother just joined Billy Joel and they're looking for a sax player that plays keyboards. And I said, well, I, I do that. So they came to see me play somewhere out in Huntington, Long Island on Route 110. And um, I believe it was Liberty and Billy and, and Doug and um, Brian Ruggles, I think, even came. And they said, you fit the bill. We want you to, you know, come and play with us. 
So that's how my audition went, and that's how I started up with Billy. Next thing I know, I was at uh, Ultrasound Studios in Hempstead watching them record the basic tracks for turnstiles. Wow. So when you, was Billy already a name when you joined or like what was his notoriety at that stage? He had had uh, a Piano Man record, which was a huge success for him. Okay. So yes, to answer your question, Doug, he did have a name. However, then he had a sophomore record that didn't do that well. And uh, he went through, you'd have to get him on your show to ask him all the, the questions because I could answer them. Of course. Them, but yeah, yeah. Only my opinion what happened. Who knows what happened with that second record, but it didn't do that well. So the, so the next record with Columbia was the Turnstiles record. He had moved out to California. He had decided to come back to New York, to the East Coast, and he found myself, Doug, and Liberty, and Russ Javers, and Howie Emerson also was a guitar player back then to, to do the Turnstiles record. And then that was like when magic started to really kind of occur. So when you guys all got together, what was that like when you're started playing together? Was it like instant glue? How did that work it really out? Was. We never ever rehearsed. It was never ever rehearsal. Sound check was the rehearsal. And it was like a bunch of 20 year olds with all this energy. Liberty was freaking crazy with energy. Doug was the, was the backbone playing bass and watching Billy's left hand. I, I played all the extra overdubs, which were the keyboards and other, uh, uh, from harp to flute to soprano to tenor uh, to alto. And then there was some guitar parts. Not a lot of guitar parts in the beginning, you know. It was a piano player's band. Right. It was Billy, you know, and I filled the holes. So the energy was absolutely fantastic. It was unbelievable. So I know you have tons of road stories and I'm, I'm sure some of them are not, you know, uh, good for, for this show. Uh, so, but what happened when I met you? So like, obviously it's a big gap of time. You, you left the band. Um, what was like the, the course in which you started getting into studio ownership while you were still playing? Like, you never gave up playing. You just started changing your uh, focus. Charlene and I, um, wanted to look into the future, you know, because, you know, a musician's life could be, you're doing 120 miles an hour, then you're doing zero. Right. So we were looking at real estate. We were looking at businesses. And I said, let's, let's just do this. I was going into the city where there were very big, proper recording studios. There was really nothing on Long Island. It was the, the size of Cove City. So we decided to do that. And I did that with Clay Hutchinson, who mm -hmm. had a studio called Kingdom Sound in Syosset. He closed that and we did Cove City together. So it was my plan to do something other than, than just play all the time and be out on the road, but to have a, another source of a revenue source, which was, which was Cove City. And our first client was basically a Tommy Shaw from Styx. Uh, and then I, I joined him as well. And then Taylor Dane came in. Uh, and then the rest is history. We had a hit and it was just a, 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 a string of hits. And we had a huge, huge run. As of right today, I just came back from the studio today. It's been an incredible run. Yeah, I mean, I visited, I think it was uh, maybe four years ago, uh, Heidi and I came and it was probably more than that because I don't think we had Ellie yet. So it's, it's been a while. Um, and we came and saw, and saw the studio and it was just, it was so great just to come back into the, the space and feel the vibe and the smell of it and, and just everything was, I mean, it's, it it's is such that. an identity. It is that, it really is. And we're very fortunate to have been there for 37 years now, it's crazy. And we decided to do that. Shirlene and I said, let's do that. And we bought a house and we bought a couple of pieces of real estate. And we, we kind of got tied into Long Island and really dug in. And uh, we've been here and we love it here. And it's been uh, fantastic for us. And, and so much so that you won the uh, Long Island Musician Hall of Fame. 
Right. We, uh, what had happened was, it's a great story, um, and people should know this, is that, uh, you know, we are, we are the Billy Joel band. We are that. with the Lords mm-hmm. of 15 Seconds. And Doug Stegmaier passed away. So Andy Gilmartin, we were saying hi to Andy before, had said uh, in his uh, life, always loved Doug, knew Doug, and wanted to help Doug, always. Doug passed away. He continued to help the Stegmaier family, then wanted to get Doug and the rest of the band into the Long Island Music Hall of Fame. He orchestrated it. It was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer, you know. We're probably, you know, 150 million records sold into this industry. So where are these guys? Who are they? Well, we're right here. We're on Long Island. So we got inducted. We got inducted by um, Dennis McNamara, who was uh, the head um, program director at WLIR, and Carol mm-hmm. Silva, who was one of the greatest uh, journalists here in New York. And they inducted us into the Hall of Fame with Billy's Blessing. It was absolutely fantastic. That's amazing. So how did you, like get your way into like so when i met you you were with the beach boys like how do you find your way are are people just seeking you out because i mean you have such a unique sound like everyone kind of knows rico's playing and and your talent is is you know obviously you know godly um but how how did you find your way navigating into those other environments you're frozen oh boy all right, you'll very likely come back in a moment. Um, I'm going to check real quick on Facebook and see uh, if it's going. We got Bean saying, hey. Yeah, Richie does look amazing. Michael Savage will probably disappear. Is he, Richie, looking on your phone? I don't know why it did that. Oh, there we are. There is. I'm back. We're back. <laughs> so, sorry about that. Did you pay your Zoom bill? No, no, now that I owe you 27 grand, I got to figure something out. I'm going to cut some corners. So uh, we were talking about uh, how you were navigating your way into these other opportunities. Well, there was, there was a, uh, listen, there was a lot of uh, a heavy profile of me with Billy's band with what I did. So people yeah. knew what I was doing. The Beach Boy connection was interesting because we opened up for the Beach Boys. Okay. Mm. Carl Wilson loved us, loved Billy. And he loved what we were doing. He saw my participation in Liberty's and Doug's participation with the band. And so when he had come through Cove City, I had, you know, I was doing other things. This was the Beach Boy connection. He had come through Cove City to record with Max Weinberg from Springsteen's band. And he came in and said, you know, Richie, we'd like you to join the Beach Boys. I said, well, I don't know if I really want to do that. I'm, you know, I've been working with sticks. He goes, he handed me a cassette. He goes, learn these songs and meet us at the New York State Fair the next weekend. And then it was 15 years of playing with the Beach Boys. (laughs) And it had so many opportunities because we made some records with Al and Matt. And and that was such an amazing, amazing opportunity. And you always brought in some of the coolest music, the coolest bands. Lib had uh, had a project he was doing. Um, Inspire Gyra. You're doing all this amazing, amazing stuff. Right. It's, it's, you know, it starts with the, you, you have to have the bone tone, you know, you've got to be something that doesn't sound like the guy playing a wedding next door. You know, you've got to have that. And I, I, what I learned was to be myself. Learned, I learned to have my sound and do what I do. You know, I studied Coltrane. I studied Charlie Parker, but they were, Col- they were Coltrane and they were Charlie Parker. I right. was me. So uh, there's a lot of people that sought after m- m- what I was doing and, and, so I got a lot of calls. I just needed to, at some point, pick and choose. 
Then I decided that I wanted to do, all, do it all. You know, I wanted to play with the Beach Boys. I wanted to go with Tommy Shaw. I wanted to do Phoebe Snow. I went to Africa with Rita Coolidge. I produced one of her records. You wow. know, then I did the whole country thing with uh, Charlie Daniels and, all, and, and Vince Gill and, and all those people. I just, I just wanted to, and you know me, Doug, I, I sleep three hours a day and I play the rest. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's something that I really appreciate and, and love about you is your love of music and uh, your flexibility in music is incredible. But you would play, like, like it's a little known secret, you'd play on anybody's record who came into the studio. It was almost like a little benefit, like it was kind of an unheard of little secret that if you did anything at Cove and Richie was in town you would almost be offering, let me play on it. Let me, oh, I got some great ideas. And you added so much value to so many people's records. You just made so many people happy just by doing that. Thank you. Well, you didn't know while you were engineering downstairs, I was in my office with them saying, you can't leave unless I play on your record. Right. <laughs> <laughs> even if, it's, even if it's on the edit floor, I still got to have a part on there. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, it's, it's because I just love what I do. Uh, it's been my whole life since I've been four or five years old and it's a gift. It's a gift of God. I get my antennas, right? It comes in and I give it back. You know? Amen. So yeah. when we talk about that was saxophone, your first instrument or were you playing something else first? Piano. Piano. Yeah. Piano was, and I was really uh, amazed by it because you can see the keyboard, you know, uh, you could, you could, you could touch the notes and hit a C, you can hit a D. And that was really great, but I wanted to play trombone. Oh. So now I went to school and they said, we have to try to play trombone. And the, and the director said, um, Mr. Britton said to me, we don't need trombone players. We need clarinet players. I got a clarinet. <laughs> I tried to play clarinet. I went, wow, I really like this. So that became my act being a woodwind player. Well, right. And not only that, you play uh, flute. Um, yeah. As well, which I I know it's it's not a reed instrument, but it I guess it is enough similarity that you can play that as well. But you're pretty versed. It's it, it comes it comes with the the nature of the beast of playing a woodwind. You know, I, I, I my main axe is tenor saxophone, but I do play baritone. I do play alto. I definitely play soprano. I play a lot of soprano and flute. So I can, any one of those, I get a call from any one of those, I could, I could get through the gig. And, and I think actually on, on uh, one of uh, our songs, you played uh, baritone. Right. You did a baritone solo, which was right. it's huge. Yeah. Like, it's so I get, I get a lot of calls for baritone. I, I really do. Yeah. Do you remember John Michelle? Of course, yeah. I, I just played on their record, uh, Brother's Keeper, right? And uh, one of the solos I did in one of the parts was baritone. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I know. So one of the things that I also really appreciate you, and, and obviously it, it came off uh, pretty well with the talent, is you would share, because I, I don't know if I knew you when Aaron was, like, I think he was already kind of a, a youngin. He wasn't born, but you shared stories how you would just put the bassinet on the piano and you would just play and oh, play. Oh, you remember that. Okay, the story, you're really close. There was no bassinet. I oh, took him, just him, put yeah. him on the keyboard when he came home from the hospital, and I played on that piano I have downstairs on my grand piano, my beautiful Yamaha piano, which my father got me and mother. I put him right on the keyboard. 
And my mother-in-law was here at the time, and Shalini was there. They were in the kitchen. They came in and went, what? You know? <laughs> you could have rolled off. <laughs> I mean, if it would have fell, I would have probably not had the story to tell about my son. Well, you know? <laughs> or it might be a different one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I mean, you're right. <laughs> it happened at birth. Well, it was four days after birth. Wow, it's it's amazing. So, as you're you're going through the 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 stuff, I ended up leaving. You know, the the peak of my career was when Napster came out. Um, so I, you know, I found a new way to, you know, I, I decided to help people make music of their lives, not just make incredible music. That was kind of the angle I took. How did you? handle and and what was going through your mind when you saw all those studios closing and the record companies closing and and all of that craziness where were you at that time who are you playing with what was because i don't think you were with the beach boys anymore at that point no let me think who i was with um uh might have been my country run but i was terrified because uh, it was like it was like music that we knew knew it before was that you'd, you'd go into a proper recording studio like cove city or all the rest of them that have been around the world, you had a bunch of guys in a room, you made music, there was a record company that gave you money to do that, there was a percentage to be shared, and you sold the, this thing called an album, yep. right? And there was a cassette, or then it was a CD. Then it was like people were stealing the music through these- Peer-to-peer, -peer, the MP3s, yeah. Yeah, it was like having a whole warehouse full of, I like your shirt, right? The whole warehouse full of those shirts like that, and you just went in and grabbed one. And that's where our music was. Our music, we're in this, and people would just take it, and they were taking it for free. So it tanked the business. And it was very scary because it was trickled down. Without budgets, there was not records to be made, there was nothing to be sold. So it was a very, very scary thing, which it still is today. For sure. How did you adjust at that? Like, what did, what did you change? Because when I was leaving, um, we had already switched to Pro Tools. So there wasn't, you know, that was a, a learning curve for me because I learned on tape. I learned how to cut tape and yeah. we were doing, you know, if we were going to cut a drum, you know, thing, a, a basics together, it was cutting, a, you know, one performance into another and kind of hoping for the best. Um, sidebar, sidebar question. Did you work with Dan Hetzel? Yep. Or, yes, Dan Hetzel. Dan, right? Dan was Dan. my kind of my main uh, guy. And then, like, I ended up also, like, doing a lot with, like, Rick Kerr and, that was, yeah. Bobby Cadway was around. Yep. Mm -hmm. Dan Hetzel's in Florida somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I speak to him, uh, speak to him often. Uh, well, t I hope he's watching it. This would be nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll have him on. So, so, the, the, so uh, it was what we offer, okay, and, and we've kind of touched upon this more than once. Music, music is, is from the heart. It, it, it's a heartbeat. It's, you know, you cut me, I believe, you know, what's happened to music these days, unfortunately, it's all digitally connected with dots to try to make the curve. Right. The curve in real life is a sound curve. And that's real life, that's analog. So what we offer is the real estate still, you know, in our studio or people that have studios, not home studios, but the people, put people in the room. So I could see you, I could feel you, smell you, you said before, the whole thing of yeah. what it takes to be together, you know, what it takes to be together to make music, because that's important. So I still have got that. And young kids, you know, young uh, 18 to 25 year old kids come to the studio and go, my dad's collection, why do these records sound like this? Well, because we all set up in a room and we play. 
And that's why we survived because we still do that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, it's so important because while you have, I know you have all the tech of the pro tools and all that. So if people okay. know that they, they can, but you also still have all of the great mic pre's and the microphones and the, right. you know, the live room and the compressors that aren't digital and the, you know, right. all that outboard gear that even just part of that process of plugging the microphones in and, and moving the mic and just being in there sets an energy and I, and not to get too woo wooey, but I believe that that the room is being blessed even at that stage when the, the preparation, it's like the, it's like the prayer. It's like the, the uh, foreplay before yeah. the, the actual, you know, event. But it is, it is that, you know, we had touched upon, you know, you could get a keyboard and there'll be a sound in it. You can buy the keyboard. I can have it. You can have it. And anywhere in the planet, they can have that sound. But when you're talking about placing a microphone in front of a speaker or a microphone in front of a kick drum, now that's your sound. Yep. That's, that session is going to be unique to that alone. And then the, the snare drum and then the cymbals, the overheads and the bass sound, the guy's bass. It's not going to be a sample. It's going to be yep. a great sounding bass, you know, saxophone, keyboards, uh, all that. That's music. That's really art. And, and it's crazy when people don't realize how, how much of an art there is even just to play microphone placement. I remember, you know, a couple of times, you know, just for fun, Dan and I would be like, hey, you know what? Let's record something and not use any EQ. Let's do everything. Let's shape everything by mic placement. So if we need more, of, more or less of a tone, let's do it with the mic, not for, you know, not by, you know, dialing it in on the EQ. And it actually, it makes a big difference. I have, a, I have a young engineer, John Arbuckle, who works for me now, is a, a young, young man with an old soul. He's like that. He, he could get, tomorrow we do, we're doing a session with, uh, with two opera people, and we're going to, you know, the acoustic piano, acoustic guitar, and it's going to be all about, well, what are we doing tomorrow? We're not doing anything till they get there, you know? The, the female vocalist might say, you know, I want to stand over here where there's more light. I want to stand closer to the, and that's music, bro. That's what, what it's all about. So I have an engineer like that now that's doing that. And I'm, I, I, all my guys are, are, are like that because it's trickled down for me. You know? Right. Well, of course. And to have that, you know, the, the resources there, like it's like a kid in a candy store, especially now because there's so few opportunities where you could open up a mic closet and go, hmm, which right. one do I want to use? And, you know, look at these mic pieces. Do I want to do Neve or do I want to do the Focus Right? Or let's just use the SSL, which was so funny. At one time, SSL was like... <laughs> I can still work at the studio. <laughs> oh, I, it was so, uh, dude, that was such one of the most, like, I, I, it was an era of my life that was, you know, I would never change. One of the biggest blessings I ever have. And I, I pretty much, I talk, you know, pretty, right, well, I, pretty regularly with Dan and, and I'm still in contact with almost everybody there. Like we were a family. We, we went well, through we were, so much. And we, we, were, we had success. It was an industry. There was, there was money to be made to give us more free time to do more free, to do the more music. So there was that. It, it, we, we were tight. It was an amazing time for us. Amen. So, so you're still playing, but there was a, uh, there was a gap. You, you made it through the, the Napster and, and all of that. You stayed open as a, a studio. You figured all of that out. And then you had uh, a challenge that actually had nothing to do with anything. It had everything to do with life. And I, I don't know how much you want to share on that, but I, I think it's powerful because that shows it's a testament of who you are and why you're here. 
because uh, you did you disappeared for a little bit. Yeah, uh, right after getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, I had a backache, and uh, it progressed into they couldn't find out what it was, but it turned out to be cancer. So I, I had two tumors on my spine, and then it spread to my whole body uh, lymphoma. So it took me out for six months. I was in hospital out here in Long Island. And it basically, I had to learn how to write my name, play the saxophone again. I had to learn how to walk. I was uh, to tear a sugar package. To, it was an awful time. And my family uh, saved my life, uh, Shirlene and Carol Ann and Aaron. And um, so it was a long road back for me, about a year where I couldn't do anything. Uh, six months actually in a hospital was pretty crazy. But what you talk about, your motivational life, is that between the eyeballs was something telling me that I wasn't going yet because I was, I was pretty much written off. Uh, my oncologist said I was the sickest patient she ever had that recovered. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. Thank God. You know, God had, had a reason for me to come back and do this. And I came back stronger. I came back stronger because I, appreciate, I appreciated life. And what God had given me, which is my musical ability. Wow. So when, what were some of the thoughts going through? I know you had that, that thought in your head, the, you know, it's not your time, but how did you keep the energy going? Um, like, what were you real? What were you thinking on? Obviously you had your family and all that, but what was there an underlying um, outcome, something that you wanted to do, something that was pulling you out or pulling you forward? Music. Music. I wanted to play again. I realized, I realized how much that meant to me. And I swore to my family and heavy to chemo. Chemo is crazy. Chemo, chemo makes you nuts. And I cried a lot. And I remember crying to my family going, I will play the saxophone again someday. And they went, oh, sure, Richie. Yeah, okay, you will. You will. You will. It was, didn't look like I was going to. But I said to myself, I will. Once I opened up my big mouth and said that, I said, okay, now I got to do this. Yeah, yeah. So, so it was, it was basically breath by breath, you know. I had to, like I said, uh, it was a big day for me in the hospital when he brought a, a putty full of marbles, and I, I pulled a marble out, and it was like, wow, this is fantastic. I can actually use my, my fingers again, you know. And I started there, breath by breath, step by step. And did you have your, your saxophone in the hospital, like, to start practice, like, just even work it? No, that was all when you got home. Uh, the, I, Doug, I, I, I couldn't walk. I was in, in a wheelchair, you know, so that's my, don't worry about that. Uh, I was in a wheelchair, so I couldn't, I, I couldn't do anything. When I finally got home, um, I'll tell you what happened, which was really interesting. Julio Fernandez from Spyro Gyro, and I played with the Spyro Gyro guys. I'm not in that band, mm -hmm. but I played with all those guys. They're good friends of mine. He came to my house with a new acoustic guitar that he just got and he said, go get your horn and play. Well, I was, I was in a walker at that point, right? So we we're out on the porch. So I went inside my house, and I wasn't strong enough to open the zipper on my, my saxophone. So I went back outside, and I was crying because chemo made you cry, right? And I said, I can't do it. He goes, go back in the house and flip the flip, the, 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 uh, the soprano saxophone case open. You can do that. So I went back in the house. And I did that and I brought my soprano out and I put it between my legs and I blew a little bit and that was the first note back. Wow. Soprano. And then I, then I had to relearn how to play it. 
I had learned, uh, my, my eye hand coordination, I had to learn to, to press, you know, I couldn't snap my fingers. That was one thing that was real important to try to snap my fingers. I couldn't snap them because I couldn't bring them together. That's how crazy it was. So were you listening to a lot of music while you were uh, like in those conditions or was it just music in your head? It was more music in my head. <clears throat> there wasn't, it wasn't uh, a place for me to listen to music. I was in a hospital bed and I didn't want to put ear, uh, earbuds in. I just, it was, it was forefront music, but it was more important that I took a breath. Right. Another one. I took another one. So it was, it was that. It was breath by breath. So it was very, very difficult. So the music was there. And, it, and, I, and I knew someday I would get back to it. And then, you know, of course, I'd be in a hospital and, and um, I, I would hear myself if the TV was on or something or if they had a radio. So I, don't, I can't remember. I remember hearing my music being played. And I, I felt that I could do that again. You know, I could really do that again. And through the, the love of, of Andy Gilmartin, who helped me, and Charlene and Carol Ann, Aaron, Julio, uh, just a pocket full of people. My, my family never saw me because I was too far gone. And so I didn't want my brother and sister didn't really see me. And I was okay with that. And so no, no documentation, no pictures. But I got through it. Look, look, yeah. shit out, bro. You know, I, and you know, making the joke earlier, like you have a painting in the attic, like you, you look younger now, like you never seem to age much anyway, but it just, it's incredible how, how amazing you do look. I gotta, I gotta say something because you're a motivational person, speaker and, and lecturer. I, I, if, if I had a picture, I, I remember scaring myself how awful I was, how much weight I lost and how, but the thing is you can with motivation, with the desire to live and to do it, you can come back, but you have got to be in control over that desire. You can't go buy a box of it somewhere. You can't right. say, oh, I'm going out to, out to a hardware store. I'm going to go get some motivation uh, spirit. I'll be right back. You've got to have that. You need your audiences. What you do is so important. Well, thank you. Um, and really what I'm doing is, is exposing what it takes when, and you're, you're proof positive, like you're sharing yeah. it. And especially since it sounds like there were some who kind of were not writing you off, but they were so, you know, living in that state of fear and the doctors. And when you, you hear a nurse say something like, this is the worst I've ever seen, I'm sure, you know, out of love, you know, they're, they're wanting to, it must be scary, like to even say their goodbyes, even if they're not literally saying goodbye and how that could affect your psyche. And you did not let that. Right. Uh, uh, to, to make everything perfectly clear, nobody actually said that to me while I was sick. Right. They told me that after I got oh, better. Oh, good. Thank God. That's <laughs> when the oncologist told me that. But, you know, uh, you could look at someone when they come into the room and they would see me and I look at their eyes and they, they would, they would go, <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and they go, how do I look? They go, great. You look great. And like, Papillon, remember that movie, Papillon? Yep. Uh, and they, they put their heads out and, and they go, how do I look? Oh, I look great. You know, but it, it wasn't that. And I knew that. But it, it didn't bother me. All this is just a bag of bones, bro. It's, it's nothing. My spirit was there. And my closeness to God. And I got really close. And I was okay to pass and go to the other side. You know, I really was all right with that. Because it was really beautiful to see that. Because I wanted to get out of all this that's around us. This is all BS around us. Right. It doesn't mean anything. Your spirit is really 
what's what's number one. And when I got got comfortable with that, it was okay to pass. It really was like, and then I got better. Then I pushed death away again. Right. And said no, sorry, I'm a little afraid of you again. You're right. Go away. I, you know, I'm going back to on this side. But while while you know you realize that only thing left is your spirit, and you get comfortable. It's really okay because because everyone is going to be visited by death someday. Everyone, yep. we all are. And I just said I had a great run, bro. You know, you know me a long time, Doug. Mm-hmm. I had a great run. This has been a great thing. I've been on all these great tours and records, and my family, and I was it was done. Okay, let's get on with it. What's what's going on this other side? You know, but then it got it got pushed back to me when they said to me, um, "You beat the cancer; it's gone." I said, "Oh, remission?" They go, "No, it's gone." So it's a miracle. I'm I'm a walking miracle. Wow! Gone. It's amazing. I'm coming up to I'm coming up to five years in August. <sighs> yep. God bless you, brother. So what, what was your first gig or your first time when you were uh, feeling like, okay, like you're, you're playing, like you're, you're back? So I was told <clears throat> that I couldn't touch the saxophone for about a year, right? So I'm, I'm out of the hospital probably two months. And I got a call from a band uh, to play at Mulcahy's, <laughs> right? Uh-huh. It was- it was a, a, a Billy Joel tribute band by, by Mike and the Big Shot guys, right? And I, <clears throat> and I said, you can't do it. And I said, I'm doing it. And my wife said, you can't. I said, I'm doing it. And I said, you know what else? I'm driving there. And I said, no, you're not. You can't. <laughs> so we got, I got my, my dearest friend Brad got in the car with me. My wife got in the car with me, Caroline. And I drove to Mulcahy's, barely got on the stage and played. Wow. What I do? I cry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that was just residual. Yeah. But, wow. Uh, they must have been so like amazed. It must have been such a powerful it evening. Very, very, very powerful. And uh, I appreciate Mike asking me to do it, and all the big shot guys that were great. They were friends of mine that got me to do the gig, and I, I was happy to do that. You know, and I'm more happier to play now with the Lords of 52nd Street, of course, because those are my boys. You know? Right. No, of course. But that's so when so when did that happen? How long like w- before you got sick was Lords? Were you doing that yet or was that post? It was the Lords. The night of the Hall of Fame induction was the first time the Lords played. I had put the band together. Right. And Liberty and um, Russell Javers joined this band that I put together. That was the first time the Lords played, right? Now, at that induction, Ron Delsner, remember Ron Delsner? Mm-hmm. Yep. He was there getting inducted as well. Oh, cool. He saw the band. He called me and Andy into his office, following me and said, I got an idea. <laughs> yeah. I got an idea. You guys, you, got, you played this music. It's all you guys on this record. You guys, it's the Lords of 50th Century. Should go out there. So we said, yeah, let's start doing it. So now the Lords were, were getting booked, right? I got sick oh. and all the guys said, well, let's just get you better. And they waited a year for me. They waited a year for me. Wow. I could so cry what, again. Pardon? I could cry again. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's clear. I mean, you guys, the synergy that you all have is obvious. Like, you know, there's, there's a history there. Um, and you all look so, 
at home. Like, it's like you're, you're just like, you just know each other so well. You, you play off of each other, the banter that you guys have. It's just, it's an amazing um, show. It really is. It's fun. And again, what prevails, good music. And we were the guys on those records. Yep. So we got all the stories, you know, with Phil Ramone and Billy and, and Doug and Liv Russell, myself. We had the stories and we're alive. We're the only guys can really tell you what really happened during those great records. Yeah. You know? so, and, and did you have to sign any NDAs? Uh, any no, no stories that you can't share? <laughs> first of all, nobody in the band can actually write. And reading's an option, too. Fair so, enough. So, <laughs> uh, no, there wasn't any of that back then. It, 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 we, we cut our deals um, with, with Billy and management, and it just, we just lived through them, you know. And uh, the, biggest, the biggest pay, which is like the, the credit card commercial, this is all priceless stuff. We yeah. are those guys. We're still alive. We're still making the music. And, and, uh, and the, along with the, the friendship, and the solidarity that we have with each other, it can't beat it, bro. Well, and, and the great news is uh, I know that, you know, for whatever fallout that you and Billy and, and the band and all had, it, there was healing because while I was working there, Billy was back recording at Cove. That's right. I, I had no falling out with Billy. <clears throat> that was the best part about it was there has been a little bit of rumor that why did Richie leave or why did Billy not? Billy and I both, I just needed to, do something else we had a long break i wanted to do the studio i wanted to have a family you know i just wanted to do something else i never said i'm quitting he never said you're fired you mm -hmm. know it was just one of these things and i totally love billy to death i really do i love the, that's the reason why we're having this this interview today this mm -hmm. this, this uh, podcast because of billy you know i did other stuff but really was a, a big turning point for me and i am so grateful of being on those records you know so it's been it's been a great run. So there was never, and then when you were working at the studio, he came back mm -hmm. to River Dreams there. We did the, the, the um, classical record we did there. Yeah. So, and he loved right. to come and hang out with us. And, and, and the whole, like, I remember the first time I met him, he, uh, when you, you kind of let him know how my name was spelled. And uh, he was like, Doug, D-U-G. Right. Yeah. If my name was Doug, I'd spell it that way too. That's exactly <laughs> like it too, man. That was a <laughs> Right. And, and I, I, it's, it's so interesting. And one of the things that's so, I think we're having this conversation with Shane Keister as well is, is what, like for, for us, like we, we're almost like war buddies, like in the trenches, we know what it was like. And then you obviously with the, with the band and all of that, but music, it's like that, those memes, like, you know, what my friends think I do, what my parents think I do, what, you know, the public think I do. And then like what I really do. And the, the glamour for me has been more of the, the relationships. It's not necessarily been, oh, you know, the, 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 the red carpety things and the, the big shows. Like, it, it's more the relationships. And to me, that's always been the most powerful um, because it, being in a studio, making a record is not glamorous. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of sitting around and you know like editing and and practicing or you know punching right. stuff in it's just a lot of stuff in making a record that isn't what it looks like that's exactly right but anything good it's not going to be easy you know right. if you if you think if you think it's just add water stir mix then everybody would do it and everybody have a hit record it yep. takes the hard work it takes the it takes you know we've said this in the studio the building of the house from the dirt to the, to the foundation 
to the to the pilings to the to the walls to the paint at the very end it's all that together and it takes hard work to put all that together yeah so now as we move forward you you're crushing it with you, you've overcome your your cancer you've crushed it you you're kind of reinvented you've a new appreciation for life and like everything is rocking along. You're out there touring where we're connecting. You go see Dan, like it, it, people are coming out of the woodwork to come see you. And then bam, COVID. No. <laughs> so then me. now you've got all this momentum. You have this power. You've overcome cancer. You've overcome things out of your control. And then this happens. What, what goes through your mind when, you know, like you're basically the, the shows are canceled? There, there's a countless a number of metaphors to use, you know. Um, what, what, what we're doing is just waiting for the green light. You know, I practice every day, if you remember mm -hmm. correctly. I still do that every day yep. at night. I, I go back to the studio and practice. I've been called by the governor uh, to do my New York State of Mind version I got called by the Long Island Music Hall of Fame to do uh, Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Uh, so, and I've been doing a lot of remote saxophone solos for people and mixes. We're working with this guy, uh, Jimmy Lee Hook in Florida of Liberty, played drums on. I played saxophone on. My man Frosty played trumpet. Um, uh, 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 Julio played guitar. So I've been doing that as much as I can. But there's nothing, it's like we said in, in, uh, 45 minutes ago, there's nothing like being in a room with everybody or being on stage with everybody. And I really miss that. So we, 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 we're vi vigilant, I'm masked, and I have gloves, and that's how I do it. I go out every day with my mask and my gloves. Gloves are, you know, depending on what I'm doing, but definitely my mask every day. And we're just waiting for the green light. You know, I think 2020 has been written off pretty much. You know, I don't think yeah, we're going to do anything till next year. We've been canceled up to New Year's Eve already. Wow. Yeah. And have you rescheduled? Like, how, what, how has the, 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 the agents, the, the, the venues, how are they, like, positioning? Are you feeling like they're eager or are they like, oh, I don't know? They're, they're very eager because their business is at jeopardy as well. There's a couple of different things we're doing. Many of them are just saying, it's not going to happen this year. Let's take this July date, do it in 2021. So we just lost this year, and we're doing okay. it again next year. Some of them that we might get back before COVID is over is that hypothetically, let's say we play a thousand theaters uh, uh, place, right? <clears throat> but you can only put 500 people in it. So what we're doing is two shows. Oh, great. Uh, so no, no more money involved, just more work, but it's better than no work, right? So... So we're going with that. If, the, if some of the promoters are doing that, we're going to abide uh, obliged by that procedure where we'll do a 4 o'clock show for 500 people and then an 8 o'clock show for 500 people. Shorten the show a little bit. You mm -hmm. know, uh, when I do my set list, it's like two hours. Right. <laughs> two hours sets. So I'll do like maybe an hour, hour and 20, hour and 15, and then take a break and do another show. Oh. And I also want to, you know, for people who haven't seen you guys, your shows are high energy. It's not like they're, you know, you're just guys just sitting there playing the songs. It's it's like you guys are in it. It is like a badass show. That's that's the that's the reason why people are coming out to see us. We're playing this music like we did back in, in the 70s and 80s, you know, and 
we can't help ourselves. Liberty and I can't help ourselves. We're just yep. doing that, you know. Uh, um, and, and the band gets it from us, from Liberty, Russ, and myself. So it's, it is that. And, and yeah. we're playing the songs in the same keys and doing the same tempos as we did back in the day. Billy has recognized this, and Billy loves it. Billy loves our band. Billy loves the Lords. So well, of course. It was, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's got to be, like, bittersweet for him because, like, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, I don't want to put too much hope and dreams out there, but, like, reunion, I would imagine that would be pretty amazing for everybody, and the magic that would be present would be insane. It's, it's up to all of us. I think, I think it's inevitable that we should because it's just the love of the music and the love of the fans that have been so loyal to us for 40-something years. And for them to see us play together, I think would be absolutely fantastic. And maybe not a, a full two-hour show. Let them see us do three songs together and yeah. hug each other and show the solidarity that, that we have given you this music and you have given back to us your loyalty. So it, it's got to be right. You know, it's, it's in God's hands. It's in whoever, whatever happens. It can happen, you know. I'm not well, opposed to it. What's so powerful, and I, I don't know if people give it that same level of thought, is your solos, like your signature on those songs cannot be duplicated. You know, there, there is a, there, there's that holistic and, and, you know, Lib plays his ass off and all of that, and, and I'm not minimizing anyone, but the melodies and the, the passion, it's, it's, it's like another voice in, in the music, and it's palpable. It was so good for me because, like we said before, it was a piano player's band, and it were these holes, right? And I filled the holes up with another lyrical instrument. Yeah. So I took his melodies and listened to what he was writing, his lyrics, and I played in those holes in those positions. And there, you know, people can hum those solos forty something years later. Verbatim, because they're just so powerful. I will say, like, uh, The Stranger was one of the records, like, me growing up. And it's so weird because there was two records that I played, like, tons of in my, you know, early teens. And it's so crazy how things came full circle. One was The Stranger. So, you know, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant and, like, all these incredible songs. And then um, D. Snyder, uh, Stay Hungry. Oh. Right. And, and then how that yeah. all came full circle is, <laughs> is so bizarre where like, and, and it's not, and I'm sure this happens for other people, but it's also happened with me in the personal development where Tony Robbins is who I was listening to. What made me make the decision to knock on the door at Cove and just be like, I'm going to work here for nothing. And, you know, basically work my way to, you know, to obviously work with you guys. Um, and then to end up going on the road with Tony and to, you know, be, you know, buddies with him. And then some of the other people I listened to, like Marshall Silver, and there's these other personal development guys who now we've become friends and we, we work together. And it's, it's, that's the power, I think, as well of being present in and being authentic in who you, who you truly are and then living it through. Like, I'm sure you got to play with some people that you never maybe would have thought growing up. Right. And who were influences for you? You you got to be prepared, and you got to be in it to be in it. You know, you you got to be ready. You got to be the guy in the dugout with the bat in the hand, ready to go. And they said, "Get up!" You know, I'm ready. You know, and that's what life's about. <clears throat> that's again your motivational thing. You've got yeah. to be ready. You know, to get that call. You can't you can't be doing this. You got to be ready. You have to have that desire. You have to show up. 
And this is what we've done forever, you know, and for me, since I've been a kid. So it works. So one of the things I I talked to Shane about this because he had shared a story about how um, he had played on uh, uh, Kenny Rogers record. And when they came out of the basic tracks, he was like, I don't know about this one. And the bass player, I forget the bass player's name was like, no, I think this is a hit. He's like, nah, I don't don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. And it was Lucille. (laughs) Have you ever had any of those situations where you played something or you were part of a record that you either a thought it was a dud and it blew up or something else. You're like, this is amazing. And then didn't catch on the way you expected it. I have the ultimate story about that. Still rock and roll. One of Billy's number one hit records, right? Yep. Before my sax solo and, and, and before my sax solo, he says, all right, Rico. Right. So now set up for me to play a sax solo. Right. He says to me, at the recording session, play something that someone's going to remember in 20 years. And I said, what? Are you kidding? Now I'm 20-something years old. I'm going to be 40 years old, and I'm going to remember this? Come on. I'm not going to you know 20 minutes from now. What, are you kidding me? You want me to play something? So I had something in my head, and then he said, play something that people are going to remember in 20 years. So I, I took what I had in my head, forgot it, and then went in there into the, into the live room and played the solo, one take, the one that you hear in the record. Wow. 44 years ago, <laughs> I'm still playing that solo. And, and at the time, I went, I went, oh, come on, man. Still rock and roll with me. You know, and sax solo, what? 20 years from now? Doesn't make sense, Billy. Made a lot of sense. Wow. How cool. That, and, and, you know, all the different records that you've done, was there any, um, any artists that you had always wanted to work with and, and, you know, maybe they were influenced for you or, or you had some admiration for that you got a chance to work with? Uh, yeah. Um, Elton, when I played on the 21 and 23 record, the Little Genie record that he had, uh, the Beach Boys. I mean, Beach Boys were like the Beatles. Yeah. I was growing up. I always wanted wanted to play. I mean, play with, where am I going to fit in with the Beach Boys? But Brian Wilson wrote a lot of baritone sax parts, yep. you know, uh, and there was a lot of horn parts in, uh, you know, in Kokomo, there was an alto solo, you know, so uh, uh, I had to pinch myself sometimes out on the road with the Beach Boys and, and listening to Carl Wilson sing God Only Knows. It was like, God, wow, crazy, you know, so that was a big one for me, you know, and I, I totally enjoyed that. Is there any uh, artist or um, someone that you haven't yet worked with that you would like to, or maybe a new and up and coming? Like where, where is your mind now as, as you're listening to music and, and looking to uh, like next steps? Uh, if you ask my family, and I, if I would ask my family, who would you like me to play with? They would all say Bruno Mars. Right? Okay. Yeah. And I would love to play with Bruno Mars. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think I'd get in his band, you know, I'm not the right shape, size, whatever, but I could play on his record and I would love to do that. I love Bruno Mars, you know, I loved him from the moment he started playing. He was Prince and James Brown and yeah. everybody combined for me. Um, so that, that would be one, you know, I, I, would, I would like to do that. I would also, uh, I was just talking to a, a, a guy who interned at the studio, Andrew Watt, who's producing now The Stones, and he called me two days ago saying, I want you to listen to some old Bobby Keys. He's a sax player with the Stones, right? 
solos and he was, we were just going back and listening to old tapes and things like that. And I'd love to play with the Stones, you know? Bobby Keys passed away. I would love to do that. So there you go. Um, Bruno Mars, Stones. Okay. I'd be, I'd be happy. I, and I, those aren't out of the realm of possibility by oh, any no. stretch. I mean, you're legendary, they're legendary. There's no, there's no reason why that shouldn't happen. Both of them could happen. They really could, you know, so. But, all right, either, so the Stones are making a record now? They're taking, uh, uh, I think that they're, uh, they're not making a new record. They're reviewing older stuff that they had. Okay. It never got released. <clears throat> so, uh, and, and uh, it's being, they're being reviewed, you know. It's more theory than anything else right now. Okay, it, fair it, enough. Uh, no, nothing, I, nothing I'm saying about the Stones, I have any credibility to be saying anything about. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, no, yeah. but you say it, it would be a great, like I, one of the things that I have not yet make happen is, uh, you know, like I, I would have loved to sing with Taylor. Really? I, I love her voice. And I remember the first time recording her and, and going, and we were just, it was just doing a demo. We we're just hanging out in the studio in Studio B and she just grabbed a 57 and was just like, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you 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 are the real deal! Like you, that this like this isn't studio magicry. Your voice is bomb." And uh, I never was able to figure out a way to make that happen. I know she's playing again, so it's not completely out of the woods. Uh, I'm not singing as much, but I'm looking to bring that back into what I do. Um, I, we're going to talk to Mark and Laura Wood about maybe figuring out ways to make some cool combinations of, you know, the, the work I do and they're doing, but that would be I, fun. I see thing with Taylor. Uh, she's, she's awesome, man. She's, you know, she's down, she's home, homegrown. Yeah. You know, she was with us a long time. We made a yeah. lot of records for her, you know, I got to play all those, those hits for her. It was fun. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah, again, Joe Franco, like, and, and those oh, are. Joey. Right. So there's a person and going to get him on the show as well. Someone who was able to adjust during some interesting times when, you know, he was one of the early adopters to technology doing, you know, electronic drums and all that, you know, and, and as were you, because even though I know your passion for the, you know, the band and all of that, my first bringing up the Korg M1, you know, into your office, you were still doing some programming and you were, you know, you didn't yeah. like kind of go, oh, I'm not going to have anything to do with technology. You did embrace it and still do. Oh, you have a great balance of that. And, and that is really important, I think, instructive in today's world because I, I get the feeling that a lot of the challenges we've faced in the music industry and in life in general is going too extreme without looking at the collateral and residual effects on that behavior. Right. Like, I, I think, I think it's, it, um, it, you can't get around technology. Look what we're doing right now. Yep. Right. You can't get around it. I have to embrace it somehow stay in business in a music business. I have to embrace it. You know, uh, I've said this often to people, you know, what technology is, is we're all kind of like at this big plug that's plugged into the wall, the wall. We're all plugged into this with our, our devices, our, our, our instruments, our, our Pro Tools, our Cubase, our Ableton project, uh, 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 profiling uh, um, things like um, Logic Pro, things. Mm -hmm. They're all connected to the wall, right? And you pull that plug out, everybody goes, Ooh, right? Yeah. Saxophone, I still play. I can yeah. play them in the dark. 
I can play in a dark. I'll play exactly the same way I did 44 years ago for the still rock and roll solo as I, I, I'll do right now, you know? So I, I still have that and I know I, no one's going to ever take that away from me, but I have to be plugged in. Got to be plugged in. This world is that, you know? I have a cell phone. I have a computer. I, you know, we have digital recordings. We have digital lifestyles. I have yep. GPS on my, my car. You know, it's just, we are plugged in. So you, you do have to embrace it. I, I, I'm going to share something. I, I, I kind of misbehaved the other day and it made me think of you. Um, so we were like many people, I'm sure, cleaning out their garages. We have all this spare time and so forth. So I was, you know, just getting some, we had a bunch of stuff to drop off at Goodwill. So I pull up to Goodwill and I drop it all off and, on the side there where everyone's dropped their stuff off, there's a case. And I'm like, oh, it looks, I wonder what's if that's in there. It had a little Y on it. And I'm like, huh. And I just open it up real quick and I'm like, nope, it's in there. And I kind of put it in my, in my car after I unloaded everything. So I, I didn't buy it. I borrowed it because someone else gave it away too. So I was just helping out. And it's a Yamaha saxophone, a tenor sax that is in like pristine, like it's in great condition. I, I mean, I don't know if it's a student model or anything like that, but it, it, it's worth it, money. It's yeah, well, I I figure I might as well, you know, see learn a little bit about yeah. it and and just have fun and and live vicariously through you to some extent. But it it just made me think of you when I when I picked that up and I opened it up at home and I told Heidi I'm like uh, this is kind of weird that I I did that. But we give so much away. We bought buy so much you know there. So I I didn't feel super super bad about it. Uh, it felt it was God kind of going hey feel, look at that. Don't feel bad about it. What if it ended up in the trash? And it got in the garbage compactor and it got crushed right. and life would have been over. You just gave it a new life, bro. Right. And maybe Ellie will pick it up. You know, she's uh, super. She's five. Now, actually, here, let, let me ask you a like, music question, like with Aaron. So Aaron is clearly, you know, really talented and, and so forth. Um, was he always musical? And like, when did you notice some talents and, and how did you nurture, excuse me, nurture it? He was uh, always talented. He was a year and a half old. He did his first recording session at Cove when the Neve was in uh, the, the uh, Studio A. Okay. And, and he did Tinkle Tinkle Little Dar. Ah, there you go. And uh, he, he sang it and he came running into the control room, you know, the, the path, right? Mm -hmm. He sat down at the console. I have a picture of this. He grabbed the fader and he made himself louder. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. The beginning of, of, of what he's doing. He always was like that. Always like that. Always very musical. Extremely, no matter what, knowing lyrics, playing instruments. Um, and now he's uh, heavy into technology too. He's got all that really together. But he's being sought after because he also knows music. He also right. can play music like what I do, you know, mm -hmm. but he's more technically uh, advanced than I am. So he, awesome. so he at a year and a, at a year and a half old, and I'm not joking, Doug, he was a year and a half old. We, we saw it in him, you know, at kindergarten, he did an impersonation of Elvis Presley, <laughs> which was pretty good, you know? All right. So we have hope. Ellie has, she's five and she has like perfect intonation. Like really? it's amazing. Like I blow, like, 
crazy. Like she can, and she can change keys. And now she's doing devices. Like she's going like, like she, she mimics and she's, she's actually, and I thought it was kind of like, at first, like every father, like, oh, my kids are brilliant kind of thing. But then when I see other kids, they have no intonation. They have no sense of melody or time. And you know, it's amazing. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Just bump, them, bump her down that road. You know, she'll tell you which direction she wants to go. But uh, and that's what we did with Aaron, you know. Yeah. We, I, I, I tried to put a clarinet in his hand and he spit it out. I tried a saxophone and he dropped it. I put a guitar in his hand and he was like, whoa. Oh, there you go. This, this is interesting, you know. So, okay. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. I mean, we have drums. We have, you know, guitars all over the place and uh, percussion instruments. And, and she's really just at the moment singing and dancing. Uh, that's her, her big thing. But, um, yeah, she's, it, it's pretty crazy. Like when she, she picks, a, picks up a melody, picks up, she, she confuses the words uh, to some extent, but her, it's, it's pretty nuts how, how in tune she is, which is rare. Brian Karen did that too once. Didn't she confuse the words? So oh, yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but follow, follow her lead, bro. I yep. mean, it's, it's amazing, you know, and young kids these days, and I, I, I often do, I've been doing a lot of these Zoom things with kids at school, doing these master classes. Mm -hmm. And we have kids learning music and learning instruments and learning pitch, you know, because now young divas come into the studio and they can't sing. They don't know pitch. We fix it, right. you know, but it's be nice if we can actually sing in tune and play in time. What a concept. Absolutely. You know? So, so. Where, where do you see now the, the future of music and the way records are, are being made? And while you're, you know, uh, obviously Cove is open, Cove City Sound Studios still open and, and rocking. What do you see as the future and, and how can we support the, uh, the continued making of incredible music? Uh, uh, um, it's, it's hard because it's, Music is music and then it's entertainment, you know? Mm. A lot of the stuff that these young people are getting, they're being entertained. But what are they being entertained with? It's what we're jamming down their throats, you know, which is this digital format. So, um, like going back to your daughter, is that, is that you should get, put an instrument in their hands, you know? So if we do more of that, there'll be more music maybe down in the next, coming down in the next generation. Um, it depends on what people want musically you know yeah. you can buy a beat off the internet and you can rap off it rap to it and you can mix it all in an hour to two hours and be done with it okay right. it's, just, it's just what it is everybody can do that anyone can do that you know i mean you can just do it it's just available so what do i see well i hopefully that there are songs with intros and choruses pre-choruses verses storytelling you know, stuff, why I'm here talking to you is because of music that had stories, it had lyrics, it had melodies. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 20, 30, 40 years, who we're going to be listening to. You know, if you take an artist now, uh, maybe it'll be Billie Eilish. I happen to like Billie Eilish, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, will it be her or will it be Cardi B, you know? Who, who, who are we giving to these younger, younger kids to listen to? What are we giving them? So what do I see? I see what we give them is what they'll nurture. So, so interesting. So 
what were you playing Aaron when he was growing up? Like, and what was his, his influences? Was it contemporary for you or was it even oldies for you? Uh, it was a little of both uh, from the Beatles to um, uh, bands like jellyfish. If you know, jellyfish, he was getting, he was going deep. Uh, he was on the road with the beach boys with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he grew up with Billy Joel music. Of course. Uh, so uh, he was listening to, um, a, a lot of, ooh, uh, I'm, I'm spacing on, I'm trying to remember what was playing in our house when he was around, but he listened to a lot of different types of music, you know. Uh, he loved um, Edda James. He liked, you know, singers that's, that's, mm-hmm. that really sang. Uh, he also liked um, Green Day. And it was that stuff that he turned you on to as he was growing up? What, what did he bring to you and go, hey, yeah, a little of both, you know. Uh, the Chili Peppers, I was liking, and he jumped into them and liked them. Um, so there was, there was a lot of bands, that, that, you know, the, gr- the grunge era he liked. So he, he was attached to a lot of it. But being in, in my family, we'd still have Stan Getz records played, you know, and, and jazz right. and, and uh, uh, pop, you know, pop music back then, which was the... Beach Boys and Billy and the BGs and and all that stuff. So it was it was he listened to a lot. He was in a good a good part of his life with some good listening. For sure. And I you know what a gift and obviously he's run with it is to be there to also see how the hot dog is made. Right. Um to to really be part of all sides of it, you know, which I think is really important and that's the balance I guess that I was getting at earlier as well to kind of have an appreciation of all aspects of it. It was more than just the performance and entertainment. It was the, down to the writing of it, the creating of it, the editing of it, even to the marketing, the promotion of it. Like there's just so much that goes into this experience that so few people actually understand or know about. Right. I think we have to be careful, and all you young viewers out there, people, is that anyone can go to a pro uh, audio store and buy the gear. You know, anyone can buy a crack of Pro Tools or Ableton, um, Logic, wh- whatever the format. But it's it's the user, it's the person behind the screen yep. that's going to make this music. You know, so and it's important of that, and not get hung up on all this technology. You still got to get the the antennas right and get this music and this feeling inside of you. You know. Um, well, true story. This is this was kind of the the nail in in my coffin and relationship with music. Is there was a band that uh, had produced their uh, first record on Wind Up, and um, and then the second that they they got dropped, and this was now where all the technology was getting out of hand and all that. And the manager went back to the the label like, no, no, give us another shot, blah 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 stuff. And they said, all right, tell you what. Uh, don't pay Doug. Don't hire Doug. Because I, I made like 40 or 50 grand on, on that record. They're like, we're going to give you $40,000. Don't hire anybody. Buy a Pro Tools rig. Make as many songs as you want. And then bring us a record. And then when we feel we've got a record's worth of, you know, an album's worth of material, then we'll consider releasing it. And then this way we're not giving, we're not spending, you know, 300 grand that we did on the last record. We're not going to do all that. And of course, at first the artists love it 
because they could be prolific. They could try stuff out. They can, if they have any sort of technical savvy, they, they could be creative in ways and just wake up inspired. So at first it seems like a great idea, but, but it didn't obviously pan out. And then I said, I was like, oh, this is the writing on the wall. I see where, where this is going. Why do I remember this? I remember this story. Because I shared it to you when it happened. It was like, I, I, I think I even came to you when um, like we, we were looking at, like I was just figuring stuff out and, and I was like, I, what's going on? Like, how are you doing? Is there any opportunity here? Because, you know, out in the real world, they're not paying anymore. Right. So, are we allowed to say what band it was? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was uh, Seven Wiser. Oh, right. Right. So we wow. did the first record. Uh, yes. In, yeah. Yes. We did the first record at, at Cove. And then Wakov well, and uh, that place in in Hempstead. There was a, it was broke. It was we did it in a few different places. Uh, um, yeah. Oof. Uh, I forgot the name of them. Um, yeah, forget as well. But so then the record came out didn't do so well. The management went back and argued for another shot, and they were like, "Yeah, we're giving you forty grand." Now, now it's like everybody's got a rig. <laughs> yeah. No budgets, and everybody's releasing everything on Friday, you know? Yep. 50,000 songs got released on Friday, you know? It's just, who released them? What, what was the, the, the course? Nobody knows. It's just Well, and then, the, yeah, the streaming technology now with Spotify and iTunes and all of that changed the whole dynamic. So it's really interesting, especially when, when COVID happened, watching – like some of our friends, Tony Harnell, Randy Jackson, like those guys I'm still in contact with. They were just putting on concerts in their house and like kind of going, hey, like tip jars. It was almost like they were, you know, like you might as well have had a, you know, a guitar case open in front of them um, because they're just all. Yeah, monetizing over the internet. Yeah. yeah. Got to yeah. figure it out. So I guess the next technology I'm wondering, and I know it's, it's in the workings, I'm sure, is the ability to play live remotely. We've, I've been doing that. I've been doing that. Uh, and I, how's that I, working, like, as far as I got to get in a lot of bandwidth? Like, how, is there any delay that you are dealing with? Most, it, it, some of the gear, you can get it in real time. There is a delay. It really sucks, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Um, but it... it, it, it it, it, it can be done. Again, let's go back to I have to embrace it. Otherwise, you don't get a call to do it. Um, I'm getting playing live to tracks and being videotaped. And then they add that track to their boxes that you see. And then they put all the boxes together and they through final cut or whatever they do. They put it together well, and then you have yeah, so you, you actually shared that story with me, the, the New York State of Mind. Uh, I don't know if you want to share that yeah. again, uh, you know, because that was amazing. When I watched that, I was like, oh, this is just badass. Uh, well, what we did was, I think the, the hardest thing, Doug, is, is the latency, you know, trying to get everybody to play together and, and whoever's device, if you, you know, you're trying to do this with someone who has an iPhone 5, you're in trouble, you know, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> you know uh, or if they still have a flip phone, uh, you're in trouble. So what I did was with New York State of Mind, when I got a call to do that for the uh, pandemic, um, I had a version on my record of New York State of Mind that I edited down to three or four minutes, right? Did a monologue up front saying what I wanted to say about the pandemic and all the people, the doctors and the nurses and the governor and, and the first responders, the police, the yada, yada. And then 
I gave that edit to all the guys that played on that record. And I said, learn the part. You played it, it's just now edited. So they all learned the part. They all filmed it. They gave it to me. We put it in Final Cut. And it was, it was the same guys that played on it. They played their same parts over again with shorter versions. So it was really a live recording, but I just edited it together. Right. Uh, and that, yeah. that was huge. I know you said it got like, what, 1.9 million views or something That's the last crazy. looked or something crazy. It's great. I, I don't know what, what, how big it got. The, uh, my record got 1.9 million. The, uh, vi- the video, I'm not sure that what I just did. Oh. It got amazing, amazing reviews. And, and the fact is it hit a lot of people. And I think, you know, out of all the people that I played, I think I made a handful of people happy and helped them get through this pandemic when it was uh, me. Well, and that, you know, when I look back at and how I made the transition into speaking and, and doing what I do is when I looked at music and why I did the, the music was exactly what you just shared. Like, man, if I could participate in the, the transformation of someone's mood, their energy, if I could just help distract them for a little bit or, you know, be played at a wedding and, and give them an opportunity, whether it be a song or if I'm on the road and I'm playing live for a couple hours, like if I could have that moment and participate in that, you know, to me, it's a spiritual experience that's huge. And then that's how I transitioned into speaking. So that's what I do. It's the exact same experience, helping transform a moment, help change their emotional state. Now it's with a little more focus where I'm guiding them somewhere because now we can discuss an outcome where it's not just, I want to, you know, escape for a little bit with music or can, you know, like there's a little more of a focus, but it's the exact same thing. And what you just shared is beautiful. That's, I think ultimately why most musicians are able to do what they do because they cherish those moments to know that they had a, a connection on a deep level. When, when you go to work, when I go to work, we put smiles on people's faces. What a, what a concept, bro. You know, I, I couldn't believe when I was even doing the music, I was like, people pay me for this. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, people have joked with me. Well, so when am I going to retire? I said, I'll retire when I get a job first. Because if I retire, I'll probably take up the saxophone and play it for a hobby. Right. <laughs> I'm already doing that, you know? Yep. So it's, 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 I'm living this passion that I have. And when I do it and I close my eyes and I play, and anyone who wants to look at, go to YouTube and look at this video that I did, you'll see what, what we're doing. You'll see those players, you know? And it's, and it's a wonderful moment. It's a gift from God. It's, it's just yep. a gift. And we're just giving it back. And then the audience gives it back to us. We do more. Yeah. So, well, and that was, I mean, such a gift to be able to, you know, all those years working with you and, and those opportunities that you would even come in or if I worked with you guys and, you know, Julio would come in or, you know, Mitch or any of the guys that would, would come in and play and live. It was just such an amazing experience to, to have that energy and be part of capturing it and, and having whatever, you know, little role I played in, in the variety of experiences was, you know, it's a game changer. It, it, it really is some of my proudest moments. And the, my only lament is we didn't have uh, these around to take, or you can't see it, the, the phones with cameras on them. So I have very little documentation, pictures or videos of, of those experiences. And I'll tell you something that's almost better because if there was, if there was cell phones at Woodstock, Woodstock wouldn't be as cool. Yeah, that's true. You know, because we have this vision of what it was like. There was documentation, but there wasn't, you know, right. And everybody's, you know, now, no matter what you do, you can take a, 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 vote, a photo of it or some video of it. And it's not cool because everybody can do that. 
right? Right. Yeah, that's so fair. When you talk about somebody who's at Woodstock, they'll tell you what it was like, and they can't show you. So it's okay. You and I know what it was like back at Cove back in those days. Yep. And it's our interpretation, and we've got to, as you as a motivational speaker, you've got to talk to people and relate to them. Tell them that story. Tell oh, I do. That's a, it, it's a huge part of... It's better, um, better than going, hey, just check, check, check this out. It's a video, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think part of it is just like looking back, like to show Ellie, like I could tell her the stories, but to have a, like a picture of it, you know, like I remember like I had, you know, I started when I started there, really long hair, I had the long, you know, the beard. Yeah. And I remember like, uh, oh, what was his name? Um, from Cheap Trick, uh, the guitarist. Rick. Rick. Yeah. Rick. Uh, what was his last name? Oh my God. Our- Rick something. Yeah, so like he, he his was way longer than mine, and like he had keys in it and stuff. And he's like, "Call that a beard?" I'm like, right. <laughs> but like yeah, Bob Cadway, be like, "Oh, you look really crazy," but you're not. You're nice. <laughs> so you know, telling the story to to your family is just as good, man. Of course, they're watching. They're watching you tell the story. Yeah. You know? Rather than you sitting back and picking your nose and showing a video of it, you know, she'll get it. They'll yeah, get it. Of course. Get it. Um, I, I like that part. You know. Yeah. That well. That and again, that's what I shared. The 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 some of my fondest memories of of being a, a human. You know, where the I was a good eight, 10 years, I think that I worked at the studio and man, you know, I hate to like, you were part of a huge era of my life. I mean, my first marriage, my first house, my, you know, like first, like all of the, some of the first in my life, you know, I'd said, you know, well, I'm way, way, way happier. I have the most amazing wife and family now. So that's, you know, not lamenting on that, but just you're part of, you know, you're at our wedding. You were like, it was just, we were family that, you know, we're still together in our own ways, which is... And will ever be, because we have those ties. Right, exactly. When I saw Dan Hetzel out on the road, it was like, oh, it was freaking awesome, you know? And I saw Joey Franco a couple of years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we came together. To, to uh, I don't know if you saw him other times, too, but yeah, Joey lives, he's got a place, uh, you know, uh, about a half hour north of me. Right. So it, it'll be those, those great times will be forever. And we can only share them. We know, like the stories we're talking about Billy with, with Liberty and Doug and Billy and Russell. I have those stories. No one has a cell phone. So I, I saw it. I yep. was there. No, no, I got to tell you. Yeah. We had lunch that day. We had Chinese food that day. You know? And, and yeah, I guess it's, it's so interesting when you talk about technology and how we all adjust to it is the way we tell our stories. And the the power of that, and and hopefully, you know, the music will still always be a way to to share stories and to express ourselves and to capture moments, um, you know. And and although they change, I think it, as we can adjust to technology and and so forth, um, perhaps we can still maintain the authenticity and and that connection to God to the higher power whatever language people like to use but that i think is what happens when people get together and they it's prayer music is prayer oh yeah oh yeah of which i got a brand new client a young client tonight at the studio uh i've got to get back to soon so uh, they're starting in about a half hour but okay uh, yeah give give me a question give me something and so we can say that we did this. Is there anything else that you would like to ask me 
that uh, we're going to talk after the same. I'm going to call you later, okay? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, what we talked about earlier, because I, I, you did so much for me, and you gave me, you know, so many opportunities, my first start, first recording with Antigone Rising, and, and you've just been a brother for, you know, so much, so obviously I want to support you in, in any way possible. Um, really, at this point, how could someone get in touch with Cove City, to learn more about like really making great music and the gift, the opportunity, the history of that studio is incredible. And just to be able to like doing it's recording there is like going to Abbey road at this point, because so much has been done in that studio and it's still there and still functioning, which is amazing. Right. Uh, We're very visible, you know, through the internet, Cope city sound studio is a website. Uh, I, you know, I'm visible too. You can find me there all the time. You know, mm-hmm. it's, the, it's the same phone number for 37 years, you know. So, uh, and, and we have somebody that administers the, the website. You go to the website, contact anybody there. Our names are up there. And, uh, and come for a tour. Come walk through the place. Come see it, you know. It's still very much the same. Same vibe, smell, <laughs> yep. feeling. Yeah, the record's still on the wall. Yeah. All those um, records that you worked on are there. So I, I don't know if I'm sure you know the story and I will leave with just this. Uh, the, the first time I walked into that studio um, was I was about 15 years old. Studio B was a tech room. So, right. so this has got to be like 85. Right. And my mom's boyfriend at the time knew whoever was the tech at that time. And it was like, oh, and I was into music. I always wanted, you know, like uh, that was definitely something I was always going to be doing. And she's like, oh, well, why don't I, my fr- you know, my Harold has this, knows this guy at the studio. So we go in there, go up the stairs, you know, so the big, you know, the stairs into the, we yeah. open the door and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So he's, he's showing me the, 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 the tech room and we're in the lounge and he's like, we can't go in to studio A because D. Snyder, Howard Stern, Leslie West and Robin are all in there. And, you know, you, we just can't go in because they're working. So we're like, okay, that's cool. So I'm in the lounge and then D comes out and he starts walking down the, the, the hallway to, you know, bathroom. towards the bathroom or whatever. And then the guy goes, oh yeah, there's D. And I was like, oh, okay. So I poke my head around the, the lounge, you know, the, the, yeah. the doorway and D sees me and he's like, who the F are you? And I'm like, uh, uh yeah and he's like what the f are you doing here and i'm like uh humana 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 and then he goes david and he starts stomping up the stairs and he goes david when i say lockout i mean lockout there's an effing kid down there get him the f out of here and the guy was like oh we got to go get you out of here and that was the first time i met d in person for that distance I, I hope you did remind him that story. Did you? I did. I did. Did, did we, you remember? Yeah. No, he, he didn't really remember. Um, but he, you know, I was like, you know, D, I, you know, obviously you were a dick. And he was like, well, I, I was not really that nice back then. But you, you know, you might have been disappointed if you realized that I was a nice guy back then. And I'm like, we were, eh, I don't know. We were working with Howard Stern doing, I think, Pig Vomit or something back then. His band. Yep. Howard, all those guys were in there. That, that was D back then. He's a different yeah. person now. You know, we all are different. 
you know. Well, and you know, D was very vulnerable when he, he was on like on the show uh, last week, and he was like, "Man, you you met me? I was on job number two. He's like, I you know, like I, I that was my I had a job, and I had to build you know start over. And he goes, there was a time when I was like hanging posters, and I was at a call center, and someone was like, "Hey, aren't you D Snyder?" And he's like, "No, I you know I just look like him." Yeah. You so know, we we've been around. Great, great, great memories. Of- David, of course, David Barrett. Yep. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I randomly saw BJ said, uh, hey, and, and uh, sends her love. And that was, you know, basically celebrating, you know, David and BJ connecting uh, during those times and, and so forth. They met, they met uh, because of the studio. And I yep. gave them their wedding at the Grand Cafe next door, which is the Metropolitan now. So I, I gave them their wedding in that, that, that building. Oh, She's that is so beautiful. One of my first secretaries. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so I'm going to put in the descriptions, uh, you know, the website, the phone number, everything, so that people can get in touch. Um, have an amazing time tonight, and, and thank you so much for, for sharing, you know, not only, like, your time now, but also all the years that I was there and, and the opportunities and, and really the, the, such a blessing and, and a beautiful time in my life, and I, I truly love you and appreciate you so much. I love you too, dear, dearly, and it was a great time, and it always will be, man. We got no place to go. Yeah, well, let's, let's find a way to, to make some more happen. All right. All right, man. God bless. Have fun tonight, brother. Thank you so much for stopping by and hanging with us. And remember to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast right here. And we look forward to serving you even more. Remember, download your free guided hypnotic meditation at guidedhypnotic.com. That's guidedhypnotic.com where you'll get your free anxiety-busting meditation. We look forward to serving you, and if you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. All right, we love you for who you are and who you aren't. God bless.